0: This. this is this is the... a second story
1: podcast
0: on this week's second story podcast by
1: the time i moved out i had few friends but i could roast a chicken with my eyes shut
0: jessica young tells a wonderful tale of family and healing through the kitchen jessica is a writer teacher and storyteller originally from cincinnati ohio she holds degrees from northwestern university and columbia college chicago When she's not writing or teaching, Jessica loves yoga, vegan cooking, and live music. This story was told live at Premise in Andersonville on May 22nd. The theme of the night was unforgettable, stories of wonder and awe. And now, Jessica Young.
1: It was a warm, sunny Sunday afternoon, and I wanted cupcakes. I was an independent 12-year-old only child. Cupcakes, how hard could it be? My bare feet stuck to the kitchen linoleum floor as I pulled flour and sugar out of cupboards. I opened the pea-green refrigerator and pulled out eggs and milk. There's milk and cupcakes, right? I pulled out the plastic measuring cup from a drawer and plunged the biggest one I could find into the flour, sending up a puff of white dust. "What are you doing in here?" a voice behind me asked. Over my shoulder loomed my father. The afternoon sun reflected in his glasses and beneath him, his mustache and his mouth tried not to curl into a smile. "I was making cupcakes? Do you have a recipe?" I hesitated. "A recipe?" Meanwhile, the cup of flour was tilting in my hand, spilling the stuff all over the counter and onto the floor. He rushed over to me and took the cup from my hand. Here, Goose, let me show you how to do this. He called me Goose. I knew he wasn't too mad at me if he used that name. That day, I learned to use the straight edge of a knife to measure flour and sugar. I learned the difference between a teaspoon and a tablespoon. And I learned that even though they're both a cup... A liquid cup and a dry cup aren't equal measurements. That was the first of many cooking lessons between my dad and me. My father loved to cook. My mother took great pride in declaring she was a terror in the kitchen. Now, whether it was Thanksgiving dinner or fish sticks and rice a when it came to cooking, dad had the discipline and exactitude of an aircraft engineer, which is what he was. He would move around the kitchen in his work clothes, his dress shoes still laced tight, and his pocket protector poking out of his shirt, and I would stand at his shoulder watching closely while he explained what he was doing. Mom would come home from her job in corporate communications with a kiss from my father, grateful that he'd gotten dinner on the table. We'd sit down, parents at either end, me in the center. Sometimes we'd listen to the radio... Sometimes we'd watch the small, black-and-white TV nestled in the corner of the counter. As a girl, I took the normalcy of these times for granted. They always started with a cooking lesson, and they always ended with the three of us having dinner. The lessons with Dad were my favorite part. It was a kind of magic, his cooking. Lasagna, sloppy joes and tater tots, fried chicken with macaroni and cheese, all of it as easy as snapping his fingers. I liked helping in the kitchen laughing at his jokes, and I liked spending time with him. If I had known the loneliness that waited for me when he left the kitchen or how important those lessons would become to me, I would have begged him not to leave, to stay home because whatever he taught me how to make, it would never be as good as as if he'd been home to do it himself. When dad wasn't cooking, he was working. When I started junior high, he started traveling for his engineering job, which continued for years days, weeks, sometimes months at a time, he was gone. Instead of following him around our kitchen, I sat there alone. I missed my father. I missed cooking with him. I missed him calling me goose. I missed him picking me up after school. And because he was working, I couldn't be mad at him even if I wanted to. But I was sad, I hated it, that he was gone for so long. Dad's absence turned the light off inside my mother. She grew mean and weary. She was always saying, Oh, Jessica, I'm so tired. I'm just so tired. She'd come home from work and stumble into her powder blue bedroom, close the curtains and crawl into bed. As afternoon would slide toward evening, I would sit in the cold, quiet kitchen, hungry while she slept. When I couldn't wait any longer, I would tiptoe up to her bedroom door like a villager passing the lair of the local dragon. Should I wake her? If I let her sleep, she'd almost certainly sleep past sunset, and by then I'd be really hungry. If I woke her, I was sure to get yelled at for being selfish and waking her up. I lost a lot of time standing in front of her bedroom, not knowing what to do. With Dad gone, dinner was different. Mom came home from work ravenous. One afternoon, I watched her pour an enormous bowl of Kellogg's cornflakes, which she baptized with a half cup of sugar, which made her sick hours later. She broiled an entire package of chicken wings and microwaved the contents of a Chinese takeout container. She took these items downstairs to the den, turned on the TV, and went to work. The TV squawked at her while she shoveled food into her mouth, barely breathing, her dark brown eyes round and glassy. She made a kind of Manic, mechanical grinding sound that I could hear underneath the canned laughter of the TV. I was scared to see my mother like this, maybe even a little grossed out. When dad was home, she'd snack before dinner, but this, this was something else. Mom? Her eyes never wavered from the screen. She reached for her third chicken wing. Mom, I repeated. Still, she was silent. I took a breath and tried again a little louder. Mom? What? Never mind. I ran up the stairs to my room. In my bedroom, I opened a paperback book and tried to read it, but the words were gibberish. I was shaking. I'd heard her voice like this before, so full of fury and irritation. Her voice like this made me feel like my guts were being squeezed. Made me... Furious. Invisible. Nothing. I can still feel it in my body right now, that feeling. I stopped trying to go near my mother when she ate like that. I didn't ask her when or even if she was going to make me dinner. I didn't sit beside her and watch TV, and I did not try to eat off her tray. She wasn't like that every day. Some days she'd microwave frozen food, or she'd say, How about breakfast for dinner and we'd have scrambled eggs and pancakes, but she was like that a lot. With dad gone, my mother collapsed, leaving me alone to wonder what would become of her and of me. When I was 12, I didn't know the words binge or depression. I didn't know that my mother has some profound unconscious abandonment issues that stem from how her parents treated her issues that were triggered when her husband left her to do his job. I didn't know what she was feeling that caused her to eat that way. I only knew that I didn't understand what was happening, and whatever it was, it meant I had to wait. So I would wait until she'd finished, and she might fix me something to eat or tell me to have a bowl of cereal so she didn't have to cook at all. Another day, she'd come home and gone to sleep, and I was sitting at the kitchen table watching a rerun on TV. It would be 6 o'clock soon, time for dinner. I padded down the hall and peeked into mom's blue cave. She lay under a great mound of blankets, snoring softly. She might not be up for a while. I went back down the hallway and softly opened the pantry door. There was a green box of spaghetti, a jar of Newman's own spaghetti sauce, and two cans of green giant spinach. I'd watched dad cook pasta with meat sauce plenty of times before. When I was 22, learning how to make this dish from the Italian grad student who was trying to get into my pants, it was spaghetti bolognese. But when I was 12, and my father had abandoned us in our misery and misfortune, and my mother was drowning in solitude, it was pasta with meat sauce. One piece at a time, I pulled the meal together. Just before seven, my mother appeared in a housecoat and socks. Her sleepy eyes widened in surprise when she saw the table did you fix dinner it was easy are you hungry I tried to swallow my hope that I'd impressed her with my effort and I placed two plates on the table one at her spot and one at dad's I can see the TV better in dad's seat is it okay if I sit here that night we had dinner together no one was glued to the TV no one was shoveling food into themselves to forget their loneliness no one was dismissed it was a little easier for both of us to ignore the dad-shaped hole at the table. For a while, when dad came home from his trips, he assumed his place as head chef. But as I got older, my hope that he would stay home atrophied into snarling teenage bitterness. I knew he would always leave again, and I became determined not to go hungry while watching my mother stuff herself sick. So I acted. Instead of flipping through essence and ebony, like black girls my age, I paged through the Betty Crocker family cookbook. When other girls were learning how to apply liquid eyeliner, I learned how to cook en papillote. At first, alone in the kitchen, I was lonely. I didn't know it at the time, but I was preparing food to stop my mother from making unhealthy choices. But that sadness fell away as I became excited about cooking. I even started buying cookbooks books full of recipes that sounded exotic to my teenage Ohioan taste buds. Seared scallops and saffron broth or mint crusted rack of lamb. What cracked out voodoo magic did soggy cornflakes and warmed over sweet and sour pork have over my mother that she thought that would make her feel better? When I started cooking at an almost desperate pace, I did so not just to feed myself, but to try to fracture the hold binging had over her. Some days, my mother still came home and binged. When I discovered her before eviscerated plates and bowls, she would look up at me contritely and mutter with her mouth full that she wasn't hungry anymore. But some days, my food broke the spell, and we ate together. As years passed and Dad kept traveling, I blossomed into the house chef. So much so that when he came home, I cooked for him, too. By the time I moved out, I had few friends, but I could roast a chicken with my eyes shut. (laughs) Back then, I didn't know I'd done all that cooking so that my mother would notice me and take care of me the way I'd taken care of her. I didn't know that, for better or worse, we were both using food to combat loneliness. I didn't know that years later, when faced with my own abandonment issues, I would have to choose not to binge, and that sometimes I would fail. I only knew that if I made dinner, I wouldn't starve, and maybe she wouldn't gorge. I cooked so that even when my mother was stressed and dad was absent, I had a little control. Now, my kitchen is a place of warmth and openness. You can't taste desperation in my food. When my husband and I sit down to eat, dinner is a practice of self-care, joy, and satisfaction. But I don't cook for my parents anymore. We barely have a relationship. My father still travels. He and my mother are relocating to Dubai at the end of next month. Their kitchen is moving to the other side of the planet. Of course, if it was on the other side of the block, we still wouldn't eat together. Now there is and will be a Jessica-shaped hole at their table. Maybe they don't feel my absence. I feel it. you asked me what I want between the trees and sea can't singing the board. I've spent an hour with you should I want anything else
0: one grin and wink like the that was Jessica Young if her story gives you ideas for your own second story we'd love to hear them for information on upcoming events or how to get involved with Second Story, visit us at secondstory.com. That's 2ndstory.com. Second Story podcasts are brought to you by Amanda Delheimer-Diamond, Megan Steelstra, Bobby Badrisky, Eric Hazen, Sherry Pentamone, and Danielle Izzell. I'm Ozzie Totten, and thanks for listening.